Um, so I'm transitioning from us talking about a culture of mission to talking about a culture of renewal. And for some of you, you're sitting there going, okay, that sounds cool, but I have no idea what you mean by that. So I do want to just set it up a little bit. Um, Shell and Eugene are going to be up here in just a sec doing a bit of an interview and just sharing a little bit more. But I do just want to set this culture up well just to explain it. And um, I think particularly for us, Harbor City, we started because of a passage in Acts, in Acts 14.21, where it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. And I just love those pictures. Because that is the mission of the church, to preach the gospel to the whole world and to make disciples everywhere. That's people who are being introduced to Jesus, following Jesus, becoming like Jesus, learning his ways, doing the things he did, all of that stuff. That is really what the mission of the church is. But I don't know if you've ever stopped to think, like, what if we, like, achieve the goal? <laughs> like, what happens if we do that? If we gospel Durban, if we disciple Durban, if we gospel and disciple the nations, like, what does that look like? That's kind of the vision that we've all got, you know, to see that realized. And the reality is we will never get there in this life. But one day when Jesus returns, we will see a world that looks the way it's meant to look. And we do see at the end of the scriptures in Revelation 21, a picture of what our world will look like when Jesus returns and deals with all the sin and brokenness and evil and injustice and idolatry that affect our lives and affect our world and makes things the way they're meant to be. So I just want to look at this briefly before these two come up. Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now I know for a lot of Durbanites that's devastating. You love the beach, you love the sea, if you're a surfer, this sounds bad. I just want you to know, surfing is not the enemy, the beach is not the enemy, those are good places. But throughout the scriptures, what we see is the sea is this tumultuous, chaotic, unsettled space. So really when John writes that in this revelation he has of Jesus, he's not saying there will be no water, there will be no ocean in the new heavens and the new earth. He's saying that there will be no unrest, no chaos, no conflict, no hostility. There will be peace in the new heavens and the new earth. And it goes on and it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Don't we long for that day? The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is insane to think about that day. That is so, so different from the world we know and, and live in. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That really is the vision of, of the future. That is what Jesus will do when he returns one day. New heavens, new earth, things the way they should be. And I think sometimes we don't understand that. The trajectory of the story of God is building towards that. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we're here this weekend. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we make disciples. That's why we plant churches. That's why they've gone to Tunisia. That's why we're praying these prayers because of that vision of one day what will be, you know, this eternity with him. And this very smart writer named Christopher Wright in his book on the mission of God says, 
the Bible does not begin at Genesis 3 or end at Revelation 20. You might think so when you listen to some presentations of the Bible's message and mission. That is to say, the Bible is not just about the solution to our sin problems and how to survive the day of judgment. It begins with creation and ends with new creation. So our biblical theology of mission, what we've been talking about in the last little while, needs to take this great beginning and ending seriously. What Christopher Wright is saying is that for a lot of churches, we just talk about sin and judgment and salvation, and that's it. But we've almost disconnected our story from God's original intent in creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, when he made the world and when he made mankind and when he commissioned us and he gave us purpose and sent us out, we forget that bit and we start at Genesis 3 when Satan tempted Adam and Eve and we sinned and sin affected and transformed the kind of trajectory of mankind from then on. And then we get to Revelation 20, where there's this big moment of judgment standing before God, kind of, are you in or are you out? And we're like, that's what it's building towards, kind of like Brad said last night. But we miss out on this picture in Revelation 21 of this new heavens and new earth that is to come, which is so beautiful when God makes things the way that they're supposed to be, when he restores things to their original purposes and intents, where we are with him forever, no longer frustrated and affected by sin and the fall, but live out that purpose for the rest of time. And Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I think some of us read that and we're like, that sounds great, because this earth is not great. You know, I'm pretty psyched for God to toss out the old earth, give us a new earth, we can start again, you know, kind of like a new car. Like some of us have got older cars, we would love to get a brand new, straight off the production line car with that new car smell. And we're like, earth is not great. I deal with a lot of sin and junk. I'm happy for God to toss it away and get a new earth with the new earth smell and the warranty and the service plan and all of those things included. But really this idea of that word new there isn't brand new. It's actually a completely different picture. It's more like renewed. So it's not like a new car. It's like an old car, which has got some stories. It's got some history that an expert mechanic takes, and he works on. This is his passion project. This is what he loves. And he slowly refurbishes and works on and fixes every part of that car till, in some strange way, this old vintage car driving down the street is getting like, I can't whistle. Plus, I know you can whistle. Can you do like a big loud one, Joseph? Yeah, there you go. It's getting like wolf whistles and all sorts of things. People are psyched about this car, and somehow an older car that's been restored is more attractive than a new car straight off the production line. Yeah, there we go, Byron psyched at the back. There's a few of us. And that's what he's talking about here. This isn't something that's new. It's something that's been renewed. It's something that's old, that's been restored and made the way that it is supposed to be. And that's what God is wanting to do with our world. That's what he's wanting to do with our cosmos, our universe, and all of those things. Take all of the brokenness, the imperfection, he's working on it, and to make it new, the way it was always intended to be, better than before, getting all those wolf whistles and all of that. And that kind of global, universal, cosmic picture of renewal and what God is going to do with everything is what he's already done with, I think, all, if not most of us in this room. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And here again, it's that word new, the Greek word kainos, which doesn't mean, listen, 
Jesus has thrown away the old self, gotten rid of gross old Grant, and kind of given like this new person to the world. I'm so grateful for that. What he's done instead is actually he's making me new. He's making you new. He's working on us as this passion project to make us into the people he's called us to be in his image, looking more and more like Christ. That's what he's doing inside of us. Actually, that we would be these new creation images of Jesus reflected to the world, that we are transformed by this new creation life, and that that life flows out of us into the world around us. And I want you to see that almost the spiritual renewal that we have experienced and are experiencing is pointing ahead to that cosmic renewal that will happen when Jesus returns. And here in this life, while we wait for that day, when Jesus will one day be back, we are called to join in that story of participating in renewal, of seeing the world around us made new in all of its brokenness and idolatry and evil and injustice and wickedness and sin, seeing it transformed socially, culturally, spiritually, economically, ecologically, politically, and holistically, that actually the kingdom of God would come, not just in here, but everywhere. That's what we're really living for in so many ways. So just as Jesus has renewed us as new creations, we're joining him in this new creation work that he's doing everywhere. And one day there will be this renewed heaven and earth, free from all of those things we read about, fear and pain and suffering and death and evil and sin. And when everything is made the way it's supposed to be. But I guess for us, as we wait for that day, what is it that we're meant to do? Like, what are we doing in the meantime? Jesus has called us to join him in his work with what we've just spoken about, preaching the gospel, making disciples, planting churches, and seeing his kingdom come. In fact, in Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is this reorientation of our entire lives around this work that he's doing. Not just little bits of us, not just the Sunday bits of us, not just a few little sacrifices we'll make, but everything being reoriented around the end goal, this vision, this dream that we've got in Revelation 21, which affects how we work. It affects how we have relationships with one another, whether that's in our families, whether that's in our church, our workplaces, everywhere we go. We reorient our relationships around this. It changes or redefines how we handle our money and our time what we do with the gifts and talents God has given us. It changes and redefines how we respond to the poor and marginalized. It changes everything about everything that we do. We're reorienting everything around this desire to see the kingdom of God come and to seek it first. But I think one of the things I've been struck by is Jesus' mission to us is to preach the gospel and make disciples. And what he calls us to pray is our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, not just here, but everywhere. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And I think the reason he calls us to pray that is we can't do this cosmic renewal thing on our own. It's just too much. I honestly drive around Durban so often filled with this like weighty guilt of all of the brokenness I see in our city. You know, if, if I drive on Esther Roberts Road to my office in the mornings, Sometimes at seven in the morning, there are prostitutes on the side of the road that are being picked up, that are waiting for someone to come. And I just think, Lord, what can I do about this? Going down Argyle Road towards the beachfront or everything, there are so many people begging at those intersections, people in need, people who are trying to make a living, trying to sell things. There's so many signs around. There's just so much need, brokenness, sin, 
systemic injustice going on in the world around us. I sometimes feel overwhelmed because I am a bit of a perfectionist. I want things to be fixed. I want things to be the right way. And I just don't know what to do, you know. I can't deal with the city's problems this way. I think that's why Jesus says, come to me and pray that my name would be hallowed in the city, that every set of lips in Durban, in South Africa, in Africa, in the nations of the world would begin to hallow and honor his name, to praise his name, to know him, not just give him lip service, but from a deep heart place, actually love Jesus. Hallowed be his name, that his kingdom would come his rule and reign over every part of our cities, over every part of our neighborhoods, our countries, wherever you are from, that that would come in the places where it currently is not, and that his will would be done. That's a big vision. It's a big dream. That actually, he wouldn't just throw away all of the brokenness, because he loves it, and he cares about it. It belongs to him. But that God is wanting to renew that and make it new. I think for us, if you feel overwhelmed like I do sometimes, it's not like the kind of, oh, let's just hide that thing and push that aside. I think the question we've got to ask today is, God, what is it you want me to do? I can't do everything to fix the city of Durban. I can't do everything to fix the city you live in or the place you live. You can't. But there's some things that God has called us to do. There's some reorientations around the way that we engage in the spheres that we are every single day that can see the kingdom come. They can see renewal happening. They can see the life of God spread. They can live towards that Revelation 21 picture. And I guess I want to ask you, what is it that God is calling you to do? And what is it that God is calling you to pray? We love the gospel. God has called us to be this family, this church community that is living on mission for the sake of renewal in our cities, countries, and the nations of the world. So what is it he's saying to you? So we've got um, Shell and Eugene coming up. And Shell's really just going to ask Eugene, who's a really interesting character. If you don't know him and if you haven't met him, I mean, he led worship so beautifully last night. really do uh, want to suggest you get to know him a little bit better. But he's got an amazing story of living this out and embodying it well. So we wanted to hear a little bit more of that to inspire us today. Um, like Grant said, for a lot of you, maybe you've only seen Eugene on the stage as a worship leader. Um, you might not know him as an educator, an artist, um, a dancer for videos that have been on MTV, uh, a fashionista, um, so many things. But one of the first questions I want to ask you, Eugene, is just about where you're from and what your upbringing was like there. Sure. A little bit nervous. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so I grew up in um, Dustin Oak. It's in West Devon. Uh, it's a West, sorry, it's in West Devon Township. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's where I come from. So Dustin Oak is more of a run-down township. So you get, you get a township. And then you get a standard lower than that. <laughs> and that's where I'm from. Uh, and it's full of like, uh, substance abuse, violence, and all those kind of things. Just like how a typical township will be, uh, or a rundown hood will be for, yeah. So that's where I'm from. And for me, growing up was very, very tough and difficult because I was raised by uh, a single parent, which is my mom. 
Um, she both raised myself and my late brother, Pilani. Um, and so she did all that she could uh, to raise us up uh, on her own. And uh, yeah, I helped her be, build a muddy house, which we stayed on for some years. And so, so yeah, and she always encourages to go to church because uh, she believed that in, in a church uh, we can have everything we need in God. So that was one thing that she made sure of <laughs> through our upbringing. And, and also just to protect us from violence or getting into gangs and things like that. So staying indoors or staying in the house was seen as the norm thing that a child could do if he or she obeyed her parent <laughs> or his parent. Uh, yeah, so that was my upbringing in a nutshell. And then when you were 14 years old, uh, Red Point Church, which is the church Harbour City planted out of, started a gardening project at your school. And one of my favorite stories about this gardening project is uh, the lady who was running it was a landscaper. And she told me a couple of years ago that um, Eugene was the only person she'd seen plant in patterns. And that's when the I think they first identified his artistic abilities. Um, but, yeah, just chatting to you, Eugene, it sounds like it was more the individuals involved in the project that impacted your life more than the actual gardening. Um, but, yeah, can you just tell us some of the ways that that happened, um, who am- impacted you? Okay. Um, other than Auntie Judy, I've got Robin Mudley, who since that day became my mentor and played like a father figure in my life. Um, and uh, Piwim Plongo, who helped me with like lift for, uh, for two months, just getting into red points then. So how it happened actually, uh, when I was still in at Skotujaya Primary School, uh, so guys from uh, Red Points will come in and give uh, lessons. They'll just like donate that time and give life skills lessons to the kids. And I was one of those kids. So, and then I heard that they would start up uh, a garden uh, by the year, which was my last year. So I left for high school. Uh, so when I was doing great, the sixth, ah, I think it's the sixth grade. It's grade eight. Um, uh, yeah, I was at school and I had forgotten about it, but around when I was 15 doing, um, the ninth grade, which is, uh, grade, um, nine, I think. Oh, yeah, I think. <laughs> I'm getting confused. Ah, uh, yeah. But anyway, but anyway, so, uh, so I was like, I remember, I remember, I remember there used to be garden projects that started sometime. So I went back to the school and I was like, hey guys, I'm keen to help. So that's where I met all these dream visuals who then like played a huge role for me to get into this beautiful community of believers, uh, into uh, Red Point and into later uh, Harbour City. And, and yeah, so it was really like a, a really beautiful and awesome journey, which I've never thought for myself that actually 11 years later, honestly, 11 years later, I'll be up here with Michelle and Grant and everyone and sharing about my story. So that's really amazing. Um, I was chatting to Eugene a little bit about his story on Sunday, and I loved one of the things he mentioned was uh, Spiwe, who was one of um, the guys involved in the in the project, was the person who gave Eugene a guitar a couple of years ago, um, which led him to learn to play the guitar and lead us in worship at Harbor City. So I just love that individuals kind of impacted his life for many years. It wasn't just a once-off thing. 
Um, and then you, a few years ago, um, you made the kind of tough decision to leave the, the artist life in Durban and head back, <laughs> head back home. Can you maybe just tell us what led you um, to move back to your old neighborhood? So, um, I think it was about three years ago now, I had a privilege with some of the guys to go to NYC for a conference, which was called Movement Day. So, when I was at NYC, I experienced a lot of, like, just beauty and art and everything I could ever imagine. I was, like, moved uh, in, like, a thousand ways towards the just creativity and uh, and... Just walking down Brooklyn and then strolling around the city uh, at Times Square, I was like, I never, I don't really want this for myself only. Uh, God, if you could give me just like at least 20 kids from my hood where I come from that I can give back to and walk with them no matter what, no matter if they choose to uh, not follow you, but like at least 20 from my hood and then I'll be happy from where I grew up. So, uh, and, and then it turns out that that was my last year at at a university doing my BTEC. Um, and then I was still going through a process of looking for a job. I uh, just finished. And then I got a call from the high school that I went to. And they're like, we're looking for someone who can teach English and also has a visual art um, background. <laughs> Sorry. And also has a visual art background. So I was like, I'll let you guys know if I know of anyone. <laughs> and because I was like, I was, still, I was still dreaming, you know, like I had this thing like 20 kids, but I was still like, man, I'm going back to the States. I'm going back to NYC. I'm going to make it big, no? I can make it. I know. I got what it takes. But in that process, I was like, actually, can I start doing my CV? <laughs> And then I sent my CV, and then the guys are like, oh, yes. And then some old faces or old teachers remembered me, and then they're like, yeah, 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 let's give this guy a shot. So I then got a job and then got into that school, and over the process of getting to that school, and then um, then God convicted me again. that like, do you remember your prayer you prayed when you asked, like, Lord, but I thought... Maybe some years later, not now, you know, because now at least I can get some cash and do some paintings and sculpture that I want, so do whatever. But it's like, do you remember that? I was like, yes. So I was like, yeah, uh, I think you're where I want you to be at least for this season. And I was like, okay, so it's going to be Dasanuk, and I'm going to be moving back from Morningside, having like beautiful sea view of, uh, of Devon, and then going back to where I'm from. Uh, in the hood, and I'm like, I hardly know everybody here, and everybody's just like, has grown so fast and got involved into drugs, and some like they heavy gangsters now, and then they're like, hey, I used to go to school with you, you're my classmates, and all those things. So like, <laughs> it was very, very difficult. But over this past three years, it has been such a beautiful, beautiful journey and a very humbling journey, and um, yeah, which led me to also start an extramural class. Uh, with the kids there, which we started with 80 kids, and then we went down to 40, and then now it's down to like 20 that I invest to in a week, so we have like two sessions a week, and yeah, I've seen some fruits with them as well, so uh, it's rewarding in that sense, and also having a life group there in Dasanuk. So Yuge, what is your dream, or what does it look like um, for renewal to come to Dasanuk? 
what would it look like for the kingdom of God to completely change your hood? Sure. <laughs> it's big, guys. It's big. Uh, so, <laughs> so a prayer of mine has been, if maybe I can answer this question through this one simple prayer, is like, God, maybe using me or using uh, other people through the school, because this is how I see it. Um, the school has has many kids which are part of lot, which are part of many families surrounding the school. So I'm like, if we get the kids, they'll speak to their parents, and if the parents get it, and then the whole destiny could be changed or be impacted hugely. But now the problem that we're currently facing is like we have a lot of um, influence coming from outside into the school. And I'm like, God, but you're bigger than this. You're bigger than the influence coming uh, outside, which these kids are bringing into the school. So I'm like, God, if we win these kids, this whole place can be changed upside down and for the better. So for me, it's like, God, would you use me or at least bring someone else? <laughs> Look, would you use me or at least bring someone else? But it will, it will have to look something in those, yeah, in, in that sense. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, I think the whole community will be changed and some big changes will take place through those kids. But it's those hard, those little ones. And then lastly, so what are, you've mentioned your, um, extramural activities you do with the kids. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit more, but what other ways has God used you to bring renewal to your community? Okay. Other than Life Group, it's definitely this extramural projects that I've started. Um, I've been wanting to have a camp for these kids, number one, because I was once involved in a youth camp in a church in, at, at Red Point, and that impacted me hugely. First of all, just being away from the township, away from the township and having a time away to just like reflect, see a different side of life that I've never thought existed, be inspired, uh, meet with other different cultures, experience something you've never thought was possible at first hand, although you don't even like fully understand it, but you're just like experiencing all of this. I was like, this is so beautiful. And the gospel at the center of it all as well. And it's just like and some fun activities and and a life band. Uh, <laughs> so it's just like, yo, this is just like so much, you know. And I've been thinking for my kids, like for them to see another side of life that they've never seen. Because Dustinook doesn't have a lot to offer. It doesn't have lots of like to offer for a, a young person like in terms of motivation to do well or to do great or th there's anything, there isn't anything other than just like, well, if you're part of a gang or you're a gangster, then no one is above you type of thing. Then you are the it uh, in the hood. So uh, for me, taking these kids away to a camp and then giving them or even more what I had experienced and change my life and my perception of the world, I think it would just like blow their minds, not only blow their minds, but um, water those seeds that we are currently planting with God into their hearts even some more. And then some trees will begin to grow. And then, and actually we're calling ourselves Sequoia. We call ourselves Sequoia. Sequoia, it's one of like the biggest trees ever. They live up to three, 
thousand years and then they can build up to 48 houses per tree. So like it's a really beautiful uh, uh, vision or name for them that one day these 20 kids, if they like represent their tree, they can have like 48 uh, impact into for, <laughs> yeah, into, uh, into the hood or into the nations, whatever where God takes them. So yeah. Thanks, huge. That's beautiful. Joseph just tapped me and said, that's Silas, his middle name. So I don't know where he is right now, but uh, he's being held somewhere. <laughs> oh, he's coming in the back. There he is, little Silas Sequoia fam, which is quite an incredible thing, hey? So you just think what you're dreaming to see happen through the men you're investing into, the little Sequoia at the back there, like another person whose life could be impacted by people in this community, but also could impact many others. I just... Um, I want to end just asking Eugene to pray for us. Um, I hope you picked this up through his story, but there's so many different dynamics in how God is using him and almost just the vision of how he's seeing the gospel bring change. So Shell joked about it, but a few years ago he did dance in a music video, which was shown, I think, at least around Africa. I don't know if it made it internationally, but you can find it. Easy Freak was the band, am I right? And you've got him just dancing on the streets of Durban in a way I could never do justice to. Um <laughs> You don't want that. You can ask him to show you later. But um, from dance and the arts, I mean, culturally, Eugene's involved in that space. I think from an education space point of view, how many kids do you have in your class? Six to zero. Yeah. And that's in four classes. So 240 kids that he's teaching into during the week, investing into young lives. How many guys in your life group? So there's about 10 guys kind of from a spiritual investment point of view. And I just love this almost community development mentoring point of view too. It's just beautiful pictures of the gospel transforming across a number of different pictures. So I'd love it if you don't mind just closing your eyes where you're at. I realize some of you might be sitting there going, I'm doing far more than that. Like, why did Eugene get up there? Others of you maybe feel challenged and you're thinking, whoa, I've never thought like this about the space I'm in. I'd love it if each of us just asked the Spirit for a second, is there something I can do in the spaces that you've put me in to see the gospel renew the people and the place that I'm in or that are around me? Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your greatness. We pray, Dad, that may give us eyes to see and a heart to feel. And that, God, may we bring this culture of renewal into our immediate space where we find ourselves in. God, we pray that may you give us peace about it when we do. And that, God, may we feel a strong sense of your presence and of your availability 
that you are the God who provides and a God who never forsakes us. We pray, God, that through this way of renewal, that many lives, Lord, may be saved and may come to know you. We pray for more beautiful stories, God, of grace and your power and how you've moved and how you continue to move and how you still want to move, God, through our lives. We pray, God, give us soft ears so we may hear from you, God, exactly what you're saying and what you're desiring, God. That for us it is. In Jesus' name, we thank you.